heavens belongs to the Lord and the earth belongs to the children of men. So anything that happens on the earth is our responsibility. Anything that happens on the earth is our responsibility. So if you don't like the pollution, fix it. Stop complaining. Like we, we, we can take this moment to, you know, talk about the government and blame everybody else. But if you are the child of God and any problem that you see is your responsibility to fix it. We're no longer victims and slaves. We have been redeemed. See, for a long time, the church has scared people into believing in Jesus. Right? Because fear is a great motivator. If you don't believe in Jesus, you'll go to hell. Which is, which is not false. It is true. Fear is a great motivator. And the people who reacted from that then started teaching, hey, forget fear, let's use hope because hope is also a great motivator. If you believe in Jesus, you'll go to heaven. Both are right. But what I want to talk to you about is fear and hope talk about a future. Faith is now. Faith is right now. What we believe in is Jesus. We're not believing in heaven or hell. We're believing in Jesus, which is right now. Jesus' reality is right now, today. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The truth means reality. I can become your reality not when you die. I can become your reality today, right now. So, so this whole, you know, this whole retirement plan that we have, where we have put everything in heaven, you know, everything will be perfect. Everything will be made right when we get to heaven. I'm saying that reality can be now in Jesus. He said, I've come to give you abundant life, not after life. Not life after death. He said, I am the resurrection and life, right? Even if you die, you shall live. But then the next statement, no one talks about. He says, but you, sh you shall not die if you believe in me. I am the resurrection and life. I have come to give you life. God quality life. Right? So the re the, one of the reasons why, you know, we, we don't take responsibility is because we don't understand the purpose why God created us in the first place. See, if it was all about going to heaven, then why did God create earth in the first place? Why did God create Adam and put him in the Garden of Eden and gave him a purpose to, and gave him a job and told him, told both of them, you know, take care of the garden. See, Garden of Eden is, is a very unique place because it symbolizes the union between heaven and earth. It is not just about going to heaven. It is not just about staying on earth. It is about union between heaven and earth. This union between supernatural and the natural. So Garden of Eden is an atmosphere that has been pulled from heaven, but it stays on the earth. And God gave the responsibility to Adam saying, hey, what I have cultivated for you, I want you to reproduce it into the entire ends of the earth. That's why he told them, 
multiply, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth, subdue the earth. The purpose of humans, the purpose of man was never to just go to heaven and worship. Somehow, because, somehow the motivator of us believing in Jesus has been heaven or hell, we think that the end goal is to somehow survive earth, be a good person, get to heaven, and then everything will be set. Everybody who comes to church is, is in the hope that somehow they get that ticket, you know, which goes to heaven. I, I used to think, you know, I, I don't care where I sit on that bus. I just want to sit. Even if I don't sit, I don't care. Somehow just get me to heaven. And everything that we did was being motivated from that place of, you know, what if I miss heaven? But I want to tell you, the good news of Jesus is not about heaven. The first thing Jesus preaches, you know, when he goes to a synagogue, the first time he gets into ministry, he reads the scroll of Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news. The word gospel is good news. To preach good news to the poor. <laughs> what, is, what would be a good news to the poor? It's okay. Somehow survive this life, you will die, you will get to heaven. Does it sound like a good news? So, when God gave us the purpose, let me come back. When God created man, he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And subdue the earth. Okay? Four things. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish. Subdue the earth. Being fruitful does not mean having children. You know that, right? Being fruitful means living a purposeful, meaningful life. Pursuing God's destiny and fulfilling that. For Adam and Eve, it was the Garden of Eden. To replicate what God had done in the Garden of Eden to the ends of the earth. That's why even when it talks about redeeming the earth, it is about bringing the earth back into the form and shape and likeness of the Garden of Eden. Okay? So if you're staying in Delhi and you don't like the pollution, fix it. You, you don't like the, the violence and the chaos? Fix it. You know, how long are we as Christians going to remain in, in that victim mindset and blame everybody else? And then finally say, maybe God, when it is your will, it will happen. Yeah, it is God's will and it will happen when you and me say yes. We are waiting for revival when God is waiting on us to become the revival. So this gospel, the kingdom, 
right? That we talk about. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is at hand. This kingdom that we talk about has to become a reality because that is why Jesus died for. It has to become a reality in our own lives. It has to become a reality in our family, in our house. That's how we can replicate that atmosphere of the kingdom into the world. So God said, be fruitful. How can you be fruitful? So if you, had, if you have to plant a tree and a tree needs to have fruits, what do you need? What's the basic thing that you need? You need a seed. So God gave you a seed to be fruitful because it's unfair for him to expect you to be fruitful without a seed. Isn't that right? So if I don't give you a seed and I say, Ashish, I expect you to bear fruit, apple, fruits. It's unfair. God gave you a seed. He gave you a seed and he says, be fruitful. What is the seed that you have? Say with me, I have a seed. I have a seed. Okay, come with me to First Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. First Peter chapter 1, verse 23. Since you have been born again, say with me, born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You are born again. You are the seed. You are born again of what seed? The word of God. You are born again of God's word. You are born of the word. See, when, when you're born, when, when a lion's, what is it called? A cub? When a cub is born of a lion, uh, it behaves like the lion because it has all the DNA and the characteristics of its parents. You are born of the word of God. So what characteristics should you have? You're born of God's word. You're born of logos. You're born of Jesus. You have every characteristics, every nature that he has. Just imagine with me. Jesus walks into this room. Okay? Like you, you know for sure that this is Jesus. And Jesus comes and he's like, I don't know man, I can't breathe. Do you know the pollution? AQI is like above 900. I can't breathe. Oh, somebody please pray for me. What would you think? What's wrong with him? He is the word in flesh. What is really wrong with him? He, this is not how he should behave. But this is exactly how you and me behave. Right? The government is bad. Oh, so much corruption. Oh, the traffic is bad. Fix it. You have been given the power. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertains to life. And His divine power has not granted you just an entry to heaven. He's given you all things that pertains to life and godliness. 
Do you realize how victim-minded we are? How victim-minded we are? The gospel has set us free once and for all. See, in a day, the Israelites got out of Egypt. They got out of Egypt, but Egypt did not get out of them. You got out of your... God delivered you from your sin, sickness, shame, condemnation, everything, but it hasn't got out of you. How will it get out of you? By you remembering that it is God who has delivered you completely. You are saved completely. God sees you perfect, without blemish. He sees you righteous. He sees you whole. That's how God sees you. But you look in your mirror and you're like, oh, I have this problem. I have that. My bank balances, my education, not yet married. But God sees you. Hey, I've given you a seed. Be fruitful. Multiply. Replenish the earth. Subdue the earth. Because I have given you everything that you need to be fruitful. Everything. You have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. With every spiritual blessing. Whatever is stopping you from pursuing the purpose of the kingdom, it's not worth it. Whatever it is, if it is that relationship, if it is guilt, condemnation, even if it is your job, it's not worth it. You are born of an imperishable seed to be fruitful. To be fruitful. To be fruitful. How will the people who are living in darkness see Jesus when they see you and me? Because we are born of the same seed. Every seed produces of its own kind. Apple tree produces apple. Mangoes produce mangoes. The word of God produces word of God. Okay? So, the reason why we pray, the reason why we read the Bible, the reason why we fellowship, the reason why you come to church, you worship, is not somehow, it's not an attempt to twist God's arm to fix things in your life. The reason why you do this is to align yourself to the reality that you have been delivered from Egypt. Is to align yourself to that reality so that you can be like Joshua and Caleb and say, hey, if the Lord has given me this land, it has been already given to me, then I will drive out the giants. Not to be victim-minded. He's given you all things, all power, all authority. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says, For you have been saved by grace through faith, and it is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Grace is favor. Grace is favor. For you have been saved by favor. It took the favor of the Lord to save you. See, I'll, I'll give you an illustration. There was this teacher who comes to this class and gives a surprise test. And Everybody, you know, I, I've never liked surprise test. Everybody is shocked. But then the teacher tells the, the students, hey, I, 
I, I, I give you um, this, uh, what does he say? The teacher says, hey, I'll help you out over here. Okay. So the teacher tells, if you just write your name and do not attempt any answers and you give to me, I'll give you full marks. But if you attempt even one answer, I will judge you based on your merit. Do you understand the condition? The condition is, if you just write your name, I'll give you full marks. But if you attempt, I will give you based on your performance. Interestingly, I'm telling you, even in life, us knowing this fact that we just need to write our names and give it to Jesus, we still try to attempt. That's, that's the truth. We still try to attempt. And then we are like, I missed it. Because it's harder to just write our names and give it to him and to just live by the favor of the Lord. It is harder. It is much harder. You know, as a child, I, I used to look at that story of Genesis where God told Adam, do not eat from this tree. What is the tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? And they ate from that tree and we are where we are. And I used to wonder, man, how could Adam be so dumb? God told him clearly that if you eat from this tree, you will die. When I was 23 years old, the Holy Spirit told me, Sam, you eat from that tree every day. What is that tree? Say with me, the knowledge of good and evil. So imagine with me, if you had the choice today to eat from the knowledge of good and evil versus what? What is the tree of life? It's knowing God. Say with me, knowing God. So if you had a choice between knowledge of good and evil versus knowing God, what would you choose? We'll all choose knowledge of good and evil. That's our default setting. Because knowledge of good and evil gives us control. It gives us power. It gives us a false illusion that you can make this decision because you have the wisdom and the power to make this decision accurately. We have wars fought because people thought my idea of good was better than theirs. So let's kill them. Every religion stands on the premise that I am more right. My, our values are more right. It's, it's all, it all comes from the knowledge of good and evil. Understand, it was not just evil. It was the knowledge of good and evil. The, the, the idea that I don't need God to decide what is good or evil, but I can decide what is good and evil for myself. So whenever we partake from the knowledge of good and evil, what we are saying is, I don't need God. I am God. I am the God of my life. I am the judge of my life. I don't need God to decide what is good for me. And we do this every day. So let's not blame Adam. We decide this, we, we take this decision upon ourselves. We become judge of our own life. 
and but the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil is always death always death superiority complex inferiority complex they both the fruit of the same tree the knowledge of good and evil because in a sense what is the knowledge of good and evil pride i don't need god because i have enough knowledge to be god in this situation man was not designed to know good and evil can i say this again man was not designed to know good and evil you know you know when married couple come to us and they have fought what are they fighting for i am right pastor tell her i am right isn't that logical pastor please tell him i am right you were not meant to know good and evil you were meant to know god and in the pursuit of knowing god trust him to make that decision for you son this is not good for you right now son this is good for you we were not meant to know good and evil we were meant to know him knowing good and evil is death knowing god is life knowing good and evil is disconnection from god knowing god is connection from god connection with god we were not meant to know good and evil but a whole life struggle is i am more right or i am more wrong god has delivered you redeemed you from the curse so that again you can be restored back to the father where you can hear what he is saying and you can trust him in every decision of your life i was i was never a bright student okay but i was smart in hanging out with bright students very smart so i knew i couldn't do things by my own but because i hung out with these guys i had the favor overflowing in my life i knew the words to speak even when i didn't understand my homework my assignment got completed why because somewhere i knew that they were bright and i submitted to them when you can submit to jesus as your lord he can make better decisions for you the quality of your life is not defined by the condition of your life it is defined by the choices that you make we are all hoping that we'll go to the us for to live a better life but can i say you can have a better life here because it is not dependent on the conditions of your life it is depend on the choices that you make if jesus in the wilderness can multiply five bread and two fish to feed 20000 people i'm sure jesus can do a lot more in the city of delhi see how 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 we have limited the gospel just going to heaven 
Although that is true. How we have limited the gospel to the future reality where Jesus is today's reality for you. See with me, faith is now. Now. Not tomorrow. Faith is now. I can believe in Jesus to have an abundant life right now, not tomorrow. So every time you take that decision to know God, right, versus knowing good and evil, where you can, the, the seat of judgment that you're sitting in, where you think you're the Lord of your life, when you can make that choice, Jesus, sit here and I'm willing to surrender, submit to you and live my life listening to what you're saying. Every time you do that, you're walking in life. You're walking in life. That's what Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There is more favor for you in knowing God. See, you were saved because of favor. You were saved because of favor. You were not saved because of, of, of our performance. Our performance was really bad. That's what God said in the Old Testament. Your righteousness are like filthy rags. I don't even want to interpret what those filthy rags mean. It's that bad. So we were saved not by our performance. We were saved by grace. You saved by grace, completely saved by grace. But there's more, there's so much more, there's so much more grace available for us. And as we know him, that grace gets multiplied over our life. As we know him, the favor of the Lord multiplies over our life that it sets us apart from the entire world. The people of God has to be set apart. The children of God has to be set apart. And what sets them apart is not their excellence. It's not their knowledge and their diligence. Although you need to be excellent. You need to be knowledgeable and be diligent. But what will set you apart is God's favor. Is God's favor. And there is so much more. Romans 5.17, Paul said, Much more for those who have received the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness will reign in life. Will reign in life. So God wants to give more favor to you. Why? So that you can reign in life. Not just somehow make through life. Not just somehow survive through life. There's a purpose that God has for you and me. That's why he said, I've chosen you before the foundations of the world. I knew you by your name. I knew that all the weaknesses that you'll have. I know that all the sins that you'll commit. I know all the struggles that you'll go through. In spite of all of that, I've chosen you because I know that you're good for this purpose. You can fulfill this purpose. So you are seated. You are seated with Christ because God knows that you can fulfill the purpose that is upon your life. You can fulfill the agenda of the kingdom that is upon your life. So God has given you the seat of favor. That seat of favor is far above every power, every rule, every principality, every name. Not when you die right now. How do I know this? Ephesians 2 verse 4 to 6. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he 
loved us even when we were dead in our sins. He raised us up with Jesus and made us seated with him at the right hand of God. So there is nothing absolutely that can dethrone you from that seat of favor. You have the seat of favor. You're sitting on the seat of favor. Can you so show the online folks where Jeremy is sitting? Do you guys see? Jeremy is sitting on a seat. And we got him that seat because we wanted him to sit throughout the service there. And it was difficult for him to stand. Okay, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> Too much attention. <laughs> but understand this. He's been given that seat for a purpose. That seat is there so that he can fulfill his purpose. You are seated on favor for a purpose. So whenever you fulfill the purpose, whenever you walk into that purpose, you will see that favor overflowing into your life. You might be doing the same thing like you were doing yesterday. You're going to your office. You're doing things diligently, fulfilling all your assignments. Everything is the same. But when, you're, when, when the priority changes in your mind, when the perspective changes, I am doing it for the Lord, not for myself. I'm doing it for the Lord, not for the salary. Everything changes and you see favor activated in your life. Because favor will flow where you flow in the purpose of God. So you have favor on your life and the favor is waiting. When is this guy going to activate me? You don't have to do anything. It's just a change in perspective. It's, it's just a change in priorities. And you see favor flowing. Ashish is an employer of SAP. Why? So the kingdom's purpose can be fulfilled. You can work anywhere. You don't have to be a full-time minister. Get it? You can be anywhere. But it's a change in priority that I am doing this not for myself, but for the Lord. In everything that I do, I'm doing it for the Lord. And you see the favor of God flowing in your life. And the favor of God will set you apart because God more than anybody wants you to prosper. I have to define this always, so let me define prosperity. Prosperity is not the volume of money that's in your bank balance. Prosperity is the presence of God that can push you, push you forward in life. You need prosperity to be a good husband. And all the husbands say, Amen. amen. <laughs> you, you need the prosperity of God to be a good employee. Because the prosperity of God pushes you, pushes you. Gets you out of your comfort zone. Do you know that even po po poverty can become comfortable? Misery can become comfortable. But God wants to get us out of our comfort zones so that we can fulfill the agenda and the purpose that He has upon our lives. Amen? Amen. So know God versus knowing good and evil. No God. So anytime you have to make a decision, take a moment. Take a moment. Pause. And God, I know, I think in my heart this is right. But what's your opinion? What's your opinion? What are you doing? 
you are inviting him to be the Lord of your life. Even though he is the Lord of your life, that's how it began. But you're giving him the rightful position in that moment, in that choice that you make. See, I love David because, you know, whenever he had to fight, he would inquire of the Lord. After he became the king, the Philistines came against him. He would inquire of the Lord. Interestingly, God would give him different strategies all the time. When you don't inquire of the Lord, you'll always have the same strategy. I, I heard this preacher say, you know, once he was in his workplace and he was having a headache. And he prayed to the Lord, Lord, I'm having this bad headache, what should I do? So the Lord said, you know, jump seven times. So he closed all the shades of his office windows and he jumped seven times and he was healed immediately. Now, the next time he had a headache, what would you think he did? He jumped seven times. What happened? Nothing happened. You get what I'm saying? It's not really in the action. It is in the action that comes out of obe obeying him after listening to him. So to take a moment, to take a moment, pause. Yes, I know. Ideally, this is the choice that I need to make. But take a moment and to say, Lord, I invite you. Will you speak? Amen. Okay, one more thing and I'll stop. How many of you struggle in life? You have different struggles. Everybody's struggle is different. Yeah, you struggle in life. Do you know the area that you struggle the most is the area where God has gifted you the most? The area where you struggle the most is where you are gifted the most. Let me explain. Samaritan woman, she had five husbands. And the one that she was living when she met Jesus was not her husband. Six men. She had a problem with men. She had a problem with society. She came to draw water from the well in the afternoon because she didn't want any social interaction. Are you getting the flow? She had problem with society, community. She was ashamed of her life. Now here Jesus comes, speaks to her, redeems her. Look what happens next. She is going out, she's going into the town and she's telling everybody, hey, here's a prophet who has told me everything that I have done. Who? Do, do you understand this? Who so confidently says, hey, you guys, you know my life, right? That prophet has just told me what I have done. And that becomes her message. That becomes her gospel message to bring everybody to the Lord. She preaches to the entire town. Telling them very happily, very joyfully. That he has told me what I have done as if you didn't know. As if they didn't know. Everybody knew. But something in her changed. The weakness that she had got turned Turned it around into strength. 
You see in the Bible, all of them had weakness. Abraham was afraid, so he would lie. Isaac, his son, was afraid, he would lie. Jacob, he was also afraid, he would lie and deceive. But God calls Abraham man of faith, the father of faith. All of them had weakness, but God can turn your weakness into your most powerful strength. Any area of your life where you think the devil is attacking you is the area of your life where you're most gifted. The reason why you, why you are draining out and you are frustrated is because you don't see what the devil sees. The devil saw that God has already released a grace, special favor upon your life in that aspect. And that's why he's attacking you so that you will be distracted. You remain frustrated and you become desperate. You become victim-minded. But that's the area of your greatest strength. Jesus goes to this, he crosses a lake and he meets this demon-possessed man. And he says, what's your name? He says, he responds, legion. Legion means 6,000 soldiers. A legion is 6,000 soldiers. He had 6,000 demonic spirits in him. 6,000! 6,000! I've, I've encountered people who are demon-possessed and one demon is enough to, for them to lose their mind. This guy had 6,000. The demonic realm put all their power and forces together to keep him down. Do you know why? Because when he got delivered, he was the messenger to preach the gospel to 10 cities. 10 cities. The demonic realm saw it. They knew, you know, this guy is dangerous. So let's chain him the area where you are struggling where you are fighting is the area where God has blessed you with enough strength and grace to overcome it have you wondered why David before he fought Goliath he had to fight a bear and a lion because that was a training ground that was a training ground do you know how muscles are formed when you, when you push ups and when you lift weights? They have to be broken and then rebuilt, broken and rebuilt, broken and rebuilt. So every struggle that you're facing, it might seem in the outward that you are failing every time. But when you are getting up, there's this power of resurrection that is being activated in your life and you are being rebuilt. Furthermore, that's why even though it might look in the natural that, you know, your, your struggle is still the same. For 20 years I'm battling this. For 30 years I'm battling this. It might look like that, but it's not. You're moving forward. You're moving forward. That's why Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16, you should meditate on this verse. It says, for even though the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day by day. You're not where you were 20 years ago. It feels like that. It feels like you're struggling financially. It's, but, but maybe finances are the area where you are gifted the most. The struggle is not the same. It feels like that in the outward. So will you trust God for what he's doing in the spiritual than what you see yourself in the natural? Because God's favor is upon your life and God's favor is to accelerate you and he is accelerating you. But if you put your trust and faith in him, 
That's what happened with Joseph. He received a word, he, he saw vision, but his life went downhill in the natural. What was God doing? He was setting everything right. Every atmosphere that needs to be right for him to be uplifted, he was, he was getting it right. So your area of struggle can become your greatest strength if, 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 if you let the perfect strength of God overpower you. That's why God tells Paul, 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, My grace is sufficient. Sufficient is not barely making. It's like, it's more than enough. My grace is sufficient, more than enough. For in your weakness, he doesn't say in your strength. For in your weakness, my strength is perfected. So the area that you're struggling the most, the area where the devil is fighting you the most is your weakness. Yes, it is your weakness. But the devil knows that when the strength of the Lord comes into your life, it will perfect that weakness. That weakness can turn, can be turned for his strength, for his glory. People who are falling sick, let me just declare over your life. The favor of God over your life is for divine health. It's for divine health. People who are struggling with finances, let me declare this over your life. The fear of the Lord is for you to be a blessing. Not just to remain blessed, but to be a blessing. Who The people of God who are struggling over here with purity, with thoughts, with negative thoughts, with depression, let me declare over your life, the favor of God is to lift you up, is to deliver you so that you can be a light of the world. For my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. God is not, is not concerned about your weakness. Because he can use your weakness. Your weakness can become his greatest strength. So every weakness that you have, take it to the Lord and boast about your weakness. Thank you Lord for this weakness. Because now I can see your strength being perfected. You know, if, if there was somebody who came from the future and he came to my school and he told me, Sam, I think you're going to become a pastor of this church. I would have laughed at him. I would have probably become a stumbling block to my own purpose. Because if you had seen me in school, I, I could not talk. Forget English. I could not talk to people. I was so shy, so scared, so timid, introverted, insecure about opening my mouth. But I know this. If I can stand with confidence and speak with authority, I know these are not my words. I know it is the Holy Spirit that is empowering me. I know this. Even today, even today, if I have to meet new people, I can't look them in the eyes and talk because I feel afraid. I feel scared. I'm still battling that. But I know every time, everywhere the Lord has lifted me and he has given me an assignment to preach, I have preached with great authority. Because I know it's not me. I know it's the strength of the Lord that is perfecting in my weakness. So God is not afraid of your weakness as much as you are afraid of your weakness. God is not shocked by your weakness. Oh, God is not surprised. He can use your weakness. He can perfect His strength. His strength. The grace of the Lord is sufficient for you. 
the grace of the Lord is sufficient for you. Is more than enough. Is more than enough. I just want to end, end with this verse. James chapter 4 verse 6. God gives grace. No, 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 no. It says God gives more grace. Say with me more you have been living in grace but you need more grace god gives more grace to the humble he rejects the proud but he gives more grace to the humble the secret to living in more favor is humility humility to say lord i don't want to take that seat of judgment and depend on my knowledge of good and evil but i want to trust you I want to humble myself. I want to, I want to let go of my understanding, but trust you. Trust you. Speak to me. In Isaiah, I think it is verse 55, verse 8, I believe it says, For your thoughts are not my thoughts, for your ways are not my ways. You know, God was telling his children that you can't, you, you're not right now thinking like me. And you're not behaving like me. Because if you thought like me, you would behave like me. But in the new covenant, 2 Corinthians, Paul says we have the mind of Christ. So it is not that God was saying that you can never think like me. He's saying that right now in your present condition, you can't think like me. But when Christ that I have, when I give to you, when you receive that, you have the mind of Christ. You start thinking like him. You start behaving like him. But it all begins with humility to surrender, to submit to every step of our way. It's just the posture of our heart. It's just the posture of our heart. So just remember these two things. Your weakness is not a curse. God can use that for your blessing. Everything that you're struggling with, everything that the devil is fighting you in that area, that can become your greatest breakthrough of blessing, of God's favor. But what it requires is humility. Humility. For you to surrender that weakness to the Lord. And say Lord. I need you. I need your grace. I need your grace. I need your grace. You remember the first time. When you accepted the Lord Jesus. And it was amazing. Remember the first day. That moment. When you had the joy of the Lord. And you were. You were crazy. And you were driving everybody crazy. You remember that moment. That moment of passion. And you accepted the Lord for the first time when you knew that this is, wow, this is way beyond everything that I've seen. You can live life like that every day if you believe in Him. If you humble yourself and believe in Him. You cannot lose your passion for the Lord if you're humble. Not possible. You cannot lose your focus from the Lord if you're humble. If you cannot be distracted if you're humble. Humble does not mean, oh, kill me, I'm a worm. Not that. Humility means, Lord, I need you. I need you. I desire you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. Amen.